three, two, one. You are listening to the Mango Tea Podcast with Jody and DK. We are a nonpartisan Jamaican and Caribbean podcast for the diaspora. We give you tea with a slice of mango mm. and information on current events, politics and politics, finance, sports, and culture. We created this podcast for the diaspora to know what's happening in the Caribbean beyond the gossip. Welcome to episode 23 of Mango Tea Podcast with Jody and DK. Today is a groundbreaking and fundamental, not fundamental. Fundamental. Mm. Fundamental. (laughs) (laughs) But this is one of our, we've been looking forward to doing this episode since we started the podcast. It's going to be an LBGTQ roundtable with with us and of course with people from the diaspora who identify within the spectrum and are ready to talk. We're going to talk about taboos, misconceptions, growing up within the community and also (laughs) surviving as well with everything that's going on going on so um so we have three individuals with us we have Dwayne, brandon and gabrielle so guys Mm. let us know your name um what's your descent and give us let's know your favorite tea and then like anything special you want to add to that so let's start with Dwayne. hey so my name is Dwayne. i'm guyanese born i emigrated here when i was seven with my dad's family um my favorite tea well i like chai and anything interesting uh nothing at this point uh brandon you gonna go next so my name is brandon philip from Trinidad and tobago um my favorite tea is is ginger anything ginger ginger and water ginger and sugar (laughs) butter even what if i have ginger in it i will have it that's my favorite tea right about me uh, a black belt in karate um currently studying management and I'm just trying to climb to the top of the ladder, wherever that leads me, you know? So that's basically about me in a nutshell. Very sporadic and spontaneous. Okay. Um, Gabrielle, do you want to... Um, so my name is Gabrielle. Um, I My favorite tea is Jasmine Green. I am a writer and software developer and... Um, digital creator and uh, my birthday's coming up in july so, <laughs> so I love happy pride birthday month. thank you i love pride month because it uh feeds directly into my birthday right after <laughs> <laughs> okay what's your favorite tea oh jasmine green oh she's jasmine oh jasmine green okay mm-hmm. all right so we got through the hard question so everything from here will be smooth sailing okay so what, so first question to the group, what was it like growing up within the diaspora um, as an LGB, LGBT, within the, within the community? Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. I, I would say that like religion was really rooted in my Caribbean mm. American experience mm-hmm. because when my parents came to this country, like obviously it's like a very, it's a really debilitating experience to like completely move to a different culture. So I think that the way that uh, Caribbean Americans find community is through the church. Our um, our church is almost entirely made up of Caribbean American people and or like people who recently immigrated or so like it almost became like, you know, a social hour for my family. And there was always like a lot of like the gossip and like the very 
um, omnipresent narrative around like don't tell people our business though. So like coming out was mm. also like, oh, but you're telling like in a way it implies that I'm telling my business, my sexual business simply by identifying as bisexual. Okay. Um, Brandon, Dwayne, do you want to um, talk about mm. your experiences? I'm so Trinidad. I mean, I see Trinidad as a country that is very hyper-masculine. So they expect you to behave a certain way, act a certain way, mm. dress a certain way. So anything that that does not represent masculinity definitely would have gotten mm. torn down or would have got, gotten backlash for it. I remember back in the days, people used to beat you up because of how it is you dress or how it is you talk. Mm. And I always considered myself to have a high-pitched voice when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So I always used to, you know, get that kind of stigma, people being, oh, go stop, put some bass in your voice, that kind of thing, mm. you know? But at the end of the day, that was my voice. That, that was who I am. So things yeah. like that, you can't change. So one of the challenges that I faced was being forced to, to behave a particular way mm-hmm. outside of my character or to act a certain way that I'm not comfortable with. So that kind of hyper-masculinity was forced on me to come across a particular way so that nobody don't, don't bully me or, or, or say mean things about me. So that was definitely one of the major challenges, you know, I experienced growing up in Trinidad and Tobago. But a quick question, because I play carnival, you play carnival, Dakarius play carnival. Most of most of the designers in Trinidad are gay men. So right. I get hyper-masculinity, but like most of, Trinidad is the greatest show on earth. I, the live is, I would say a, a good portion of their economy is from carnival every year with revelers coming in from all over the world. And then you have these beautiful costumes designed by men. Majority of them are gays. And then you have this community. So like, how does that balance out? Yes, the thing is, first of all, when the carnival is a tourist event, all right? So people who come in to just to visit the carnival, they're not going to see everything that the normal person living daily would see or experience, right? And the thing is, carnival is one of those activities, one of those events that has sensitized people over the years about homosexuality. So carnival is that one major event that have created mm-hmm. people to become a bit more sensitive about LGBTQ amongst them. So because mm-hmm. of one of those events, people are now way more sensitive to the fact that, okay, my uh, mass designer is gay. Uh, we have gay people in the band. I like carnival. I'm not going to steal because there are gay people in the band, you know? So yeah. carnival has definitely started very slowly to shape the mindset of people in that particular culture. True. And I think also with, with the LGBT community in the Caribbean, people, are, people tend to be more accepting of people at a certain level. Exactly. So if you are a celebrity or if you're a designer, it's, it's almost like it's okay for you. But if you are a regular Joe on the block, it's, it's a no-no. Like it's people, kind of and like I think that's, that's the issue with mindset. Caribbean. Yeah, it is. So I feel like the, regular, the average person does not deal with uh, the issues the same way as somebody that has money would deal with it. Because I've seen that, I've heard and seen all those experiences where it, they're way more accepting of people. Even now, they're way more accepting of people that are YouTubers and people that are on social media that has to have a certain amount of following. Right. Or if they're somewhat of a celebrity or if they have money, you're, you're treated far differently 
from the average person that is gay or a lesbian or, or whoever you identify, you're treated far more differently. So I feel like that's always an issue as well. Agree. Oh, 100%. My... My parents were like, oh my, like, what are you even doing with this whole thing? Often mm. so maybe like earlier this year and then to see like me get media coverage. And then now uh, I have, a, I recently got a book deal. Oh, nice. Thank you. Thank you. And they're suddenly so different. I can't yeah. even believe the dramatic shift in how they treat me. Uh-huh. And I don't, I shouldn't need to like achieve a certain amount of success for me to be worth identifying as lgbtq like i mm. should just be able to face acceptance from my family just because, just because. i deserve it <laughs> yeah. yeah Dwayne, you want to give us your experience about growing um your experience in diaspora coming out sure um i think i'd echo both what gabrielle and brandon were saying um church is very much a heavy and center point um when my family came here too um, I think the one family member in my family who constantly always went was Adventist. Um, so mm-hmm. we just followed suit in that regard. And Adventists are a lot more strict there, I think, than a lot yes. of the other, um, like Baptists and the Coastal in that regard, just because of the, I guess, traditional things that they do in regards to abstaining from meat. Um, no jewelry. Um, so they have very, very rigid roles of like men and women. Um, so that was played out in the family dynamics as well. Um, and in regards to the hypermasculinity, that too is seen a lot in Guyana in the culture. Um, they expect certain things from you, um, certain things mm. for you not to do as well. Um, not being in the kitchen all the time, um, uh. act in, in certain manners, um, your interests. I remember um, in third grade, I got... Um, the opportunity to go to a ballet school and that was like mm. uh, it, it was it was I got to do it but it was with like pressure from like someone who was like one of the matriarchs in my family who was just like this could be like something great for him like this is an opportunity that can ever happen for him kind of thing so it was a hard hard push um but it was it was something that was very out of the blue so um yeah. so like just pursuing things like that was like a challenge just to do um, like an uphill battle. So, and if it was decided that I couldn't do it anymore, I just couldn't, I couldn't, there wasn't much voice to things that I wanted to do that was outside of what they saw as appropriate. Um, So in regards to masculinity and stuff like that. Um, And to the point of, um, I guess, how people console um, gay designers and stuff like that, it's similar like in the black community here in the States, um, all the things that the people on the block try to wear and stuff are all mm. done by like gay designers. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> they don't really know about that or they don't really like accept it, but it's just like they would wear it out, but would not want to associate themselves with someone who is of the community. So. Mm, That's true. Okay. Um, so we've talked about religion. All of you have talked about religion within your story about growing up. Does anyone who still goes to church? Except for me. Because <laughs> you know I still <laughs> popping up in church every Sunday. Oof. I don't go to church. I have stopped. Um, I have stopped going to church um, almost two years now. And um, actually, I stopped going to church in 2018 when I first came to the U.S. 
and I had a conversation with someone whose views were, um, why would you adopt a religion that was forced on us by our slave mm. masters, which is also which is always a very controversial topic, you know, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, there's always the, the conversation or the argument about spirituality versus mm. religion, you know. So mm. after having that conversation, it challenged my mindset to pull away from church just to redefine or find a new understanding of what spirituality really means to me and mm-hmm. move away from religion because I've come to understand that religion is was created to control people, right? So I'm just in a, in a, in a space where I'm trying to understand um, spirituality and African spirituality and how that, what that means to me. Yeah. I think as, as a woman, like church has a particular way of like stigmatizing sexuality. Like, um, so uh, I, my grandmother was the, first of all, my grandfather was a pastor and was like really important Mm. in our church. So that's already very difficult. And Mm. then um, my grandmother then, you know, was kind of automatically relegated to this role of like administration within the church. And she was the uh, creator of the debutante, I mean, the, like the debutante cotillion committee in my church. So they had like an annual debutante ball. So mm-hmm. obviously I was a debutante and uh, what was required of me was a, was a purity pact, but like they never told us in advance of like mm-hmm. signing up that would be part of it. So it was just like one wow. day in the middle of like etiquette lessons. They were like, by the way, we have these contracts for you to sign. So it, like, and I talk about the power dynamic of that situation, which is that like, to be like, I'm not signing that is to say like almost in front of everyone, like now I'm going to have sex after this. Like, it almost, <laughs> like, you know, like, what do you, like, so I, at the time I was like, okay. And I guess I have to sign it. Even if this is not something that I, that aligns with my values. Um, but the contract almost specifically applies to like a heterosexual relationship. You know, it's mm-hmm. talking, it's, it doesn't say like you will not have penetration, but there's like an implicit contract there that mm-hmm. that's, what you're, that's what you're saying. So I feel like it wasn't until I was an adult and reflecting on that, that I realized it wasn't just me signing a purity pact and feeling like, wow, I can't be a sexual being. It was me signing a purity pact and being like, and the church is telling me that the relationship that they see as normal is heterosexual marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yeah. I might be the only person that has that, that, odd conflict because I still go to church every Sunday. I'm still, I consider myself a Christian. I still consider myself gay, but I feel like for me, I've always found that religion, not even religion, just Christianity for me, it keeps me grounded. Um, It keeps me sane. It's where I find my peace. It might seem ironic that you would find a peace, peace in a place that um, is in complete conflict with who you are as a person. But for me, I've always, I've always, that's maybe been my struggle or that's been the issue that I've always faced. But I find yeah. that I found this weird balance. So like, I feel it's, it's, and it's odd. And people would look at me, even my friends when we have conversations, they'd be like, it doesn't make sense because this very thing um, that you celebrate or that you, you honor or this very thing that keeps you grounded or gives you peace uh-huh. is, has caused so much conflict, especially mm-hmm. in Jamaica. If you grew up in Jamaica, you'd understand that um, more the issues that people of the LGBT community face, most of it stems from the church itself. Mm-hmm. And then it's odd and weird that you'd be like, okay, yeah, but I'm still going to go to church. But that's just been my thing. 
Um, and it's almost, I would want to apologize for it, but I feel like I can't because I embrace both sides. Yeah, no, apology, no apology needed. <laughs> you shouldn't have to. Um, the church and spirituality are two different things in my eyes. Um, mm-hmm. that is true. I, one big thing I learned um, was to, if you're in the church, you should find Christ first before you find the church. So, sure. like, if you have a relationship yourself with your God and whatnot, then mm-hmm. that's with you and your God. But then the church is like a whole other different dynamic um, with mm-hmm. the rules and regulations and other stipulations, which shouldn't be found with your savior or whoever you're praying to um but for me um i think now after i went away to college since i didn't have the family like on my back so much because it was just it was literally a religious thing every sunday we're there um from sunday school to until whenever we decide to go home sometimes it's like (laughs) um so it was a long day um, but since going away and I didn't have that pressure so much, I came away from the church. But right yeah. now, it's more like out of respect whenever I am in town in Brooklyn mm-hmm. when I go. Because um, mm-hmm. for me, I guess it is a little bit of a strained relationship because um, I still do enjoy gospel. It is still one of my like favorite genres. It's the thing I go yeah. to when I'm like in a particular um, depressed mood or something. That, like It's an off the me too. for me. Um, yes, me too. But in regards to like a religion itself, um, I'm also like on the track of finding like more of a ATR and African religion kind of like mm-hmm. thing. Um, so that's where I'm at at this point. So everyone here has kind of like gone through, has been in the church um, from essentially um, from they were infants, <laughs> probably before that when you were in the womb, growing up, and all that. Um, and then I feel like the Caribbean church is a beast within itself, is a beast on its own. It's very different from the American church. Hell of a lot different from white churches. Uh-huh. And we have, yeah, <laughs> we have our own unique thing because we bridge in our culture and all that. But mm-hmm. uh, we had an, an episode about child abuse and mm. it, it, it was it, heavy. was very, very heavy. And then one of the things that Dakari brought up um, was about homosexuality within the church and ch- abuse of young boys in the church. And with it, with like, you would think of the church and you think of the stigmas. You, you think of like mm. what they say. I remember I went to, I went to a church in Queens. It was my fam- one of my family members' church and they were talking about fire and essentially mm. killing gay yeah. people. I got up and I left. So this is rampant across the caribbean so that's an ally right there mm-hmm. but <laughs> right <laughs> but Dakari had brought up that like there's even outside of the catholic church and within like the churches in country the churches in town even the churches up mm-hmm. here there's still abuse of uh, abuse of males by older males within the within the church so it's like yeah. a it's like a conflicting thing so um asking the panel have you you don't need to share if you don't feel comfortable about sharing any personal or stories of friends, it's fine. But if you've uh-huh. heard, and those are comfortable with this, have you heard or any stories like, per, have you heard stories about like um, child abuse, sexual abuse of males by other males within the church? 
No, but I mean, I do look at things like conversion therapy, and I think, you know, the church in many ways contributes to conversion therapy. I think that is a form of abuse, maybe not sexual abuse, but certainly mm. abuse. And I think that's obviously rampant in the church. And once you have structures of abuse in one way, it's very easy for other structures of abuse to emerge as well. So I wouldn't be surprised. You see, if it is the thing about conversion therapy, a lot of people haven't up to this day recognized conversion therapy as a form of abuse. Mm-hmm. They just think that if it is I'm a pastor, it's okay for me to try to convert somebody to live a particular way. You know, mm-hmm. so people are still struggling to recognize that it is a form of abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I don't know if you've heard of Jackie Hill Perry. Is anyone familiar with her work? No. So she is a, she calls herself like an ex-homosexual. Mm. She uh, is married to a man mm-hmm. and has a lot of like media. If you look her up on YouTube, there are a couple like documentaries and videos in which she says that her commitment to God and, and to her religion means that she ha- believes in heterosexual marriage as like the, as a commitment and a covenant with God. And therefore mm-hmm. married a man, had a baby with a man and like suppresses any desire to be with women. And then she mm. describes even like that she wakes up in the middle of the night from nightmares about her ex-girlfriend and how she like, she, and she anticipates struggling with this for the rest of her life, but thinks that like God gives us struggle in many ways. And this is just mm. her struggle. And her rhetoric is obviously used to harm a lot of LGBTQ people. Cause they're like, well, if Jackie Hill Perry can do it, then all of you should do it. And look, she's not being abused. Look how happy she is. She has a family and she's following the rules and like talking about it and like, look how much compassion. And she's like used as just this like weapon against us. And I hate it mm. so much. And I'm sure that a lot of religious folks are like, like just love to wheel out the videos of her in the church. Are there any um, conversion? Like I know like within like, different churches they'll have like counselors that try to <laughs> that try to um get the gay pray the gay out of you but mm-hmm. are there any like formal or like camps or any of that um conversion camps within the caribbean um mm-hmm. the thing about, about, the thing about conversion about? therapy i think in 2018 or 2017 conversion therapy um was was banned in a lot of states so it's mm-hmm. actually illegal across the board in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So people can't attempt to do conversion therapy by mm-hmm. no means necessary. But the thing is, if it is you are a pastor, you can still have a conversation with somebody about turning from gay to straight. Right? True. And the thing is, I always make this statement, and I always try to hold back from making it, I'm going to make it anyway. Mm-hmm. Pastors are not therapists, Right pastors study theology and they understand the bible and they understand life they are life coaches life coaches are different to therapists mm-hmm. my issue is if it is you have an issue people should refrain or pull back from running to their pastors and probably seek help from a therapist you know mm-hmm. because when you go to a pastor there is most times the biasness about religion but when you go to a therapist the bias is removed you know so i always tell people if you need to speak to somebody go to a therapist this way you can have a conversation without any known or unknown bias yeah i just want to 
so it's still legal in the United States, like nationally, but there are certain locations in which it's banned. And right. people, are, but the, the loophole a lot is that parents will enroll their, their children, their minors. And since you're the parent, you're allowed to do that. So like right now in the United States, I think we're pushing for it to be illegal for minors specifically. But I know in New York, it is banned, whether through religious intervention or just yeah. like psychological intervention. Mm-hmm. And you know what, that brings up a great point too about mental health. Dakari mm-hmm. and I talk about this all the time where mm-hmm. we're like, there's generation, g- generational trauma Generational trauma. Generational trauma. Yeah. Sorry, I, it's hard. I haven't drank my water today. <laughs> um, it's really hard. Have a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> but there's generational trauma within the Caribbean, and people don't. Yes. Speak. And um, going to therapy is kind of like a sign of weakness. Um, even yes. within the states too, the it's flipping a little. Um, so I I always think about think of it is that most people walking around the Caribbean and mm. here too within diaspora have serious mental health issues mm-hmm. and they're not seeking out the help. So um, they're using the church. I think for more, I don't mean to cut you, but they're using the church at the end of the day. I think with most people from the Caribbean and most people that are living in the Caribbean church is their therapy. And I completely, as much as I go to church, I don't think you should use church as a form of therapy because, um, Brandon had brought up a good point that at the end of the day, there are certain biases that come with, going to your pastor or your religious leader to counsel you even though in, in a sense i'm i'm in between because i i always for me i've always embraced the idea of giving each person the opportunity to go to whoever, whomever they feel more comfortable so if you are comfortable with going to your pastor that's just on you um but obviously the, the, the suggestion would be to go to someone who is on bias but i think that's the thing with jamaica with caribbean the church to them has always been their place of therapy. It's their place of solace. It's their place where if they're depressed, they go. And I feel like that is the issue with the trauma, though. We don't, we, we've not gotten to the point where we, we've learned to deal with our traumas um, and our past issues beyond the church. And that's why we have issues that continue on for generations because we've really, we haven't gotten to the point where we, we have the serious conversations that don't involve just a scripture reading or a prayer like at the end of the day i personally believe in prayer i believe in the scripture readings um but i feel like with most they don't know how to talk about certain issues but that's why all of this trauma continues for most people um and it just it, it boils over then we have issues of sexual abuse we have um people with anxiety and depression there's so many different issues that boil over um uh, but we're not talking about it yes very very true um, I told the family I was going to therapy and they were like, why? And I was like, honestly, yeah. you guys should too. <laughs> yeah. They're always like, seek God, go pray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Still, I think there's still a really big, a, bit, a really large stigma, especially in the Caribbean when it comes to, to getting therapy. Yes. Somebody here that you are uh, in therapy, they think that you're crazy or you're mentally ill. Mm-hmm. And most times that's not the issue. You think about receiving therapy, it makes you mentally sound and emotionally mm-hmm. free. And I think that if it is you want to be success, successful or whole, getting mm-hmm. therapy is something that everybody should get to be able to be well in tune with their emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. So I want to pivot a little bit um, and talk about something real quick uh stigmas and homophobia 
um, mm. and how extreme it can go. So I mm. know of two per- where homophobia has gone like to the extreme. Um, Jamaica. <laughs> yes, um, Jamaica particularly. Uh, there was a case um, a few years ago where a, I think it was in Montego Bay, a young, a 15, I think it was 15 or 16, he was mm-hmm. going to a street party, he dressed in drag, and they murdered him, like murdered him. I do not want to go into graphic details at all. Where, and, what country? Jamaica. It was in Jamaica. Um, I don't want to go into graphic details. We'll put a post on our Instagram page mm-hmm. with a story, but they, if you, some of the worst things possible, and there was international outcry, um, Amnesty International came in. It was all over the news. And mm-hmm. they still haven't found um, the murderers today. So with with that, have you guys experienced any extreme homophobia, potentially violence, like with when you're here, when you're in the States, when you're in um, the Caribbean um, or at all? Um, I think that the, the homophobia that I experienced is very gendered. Like... If I'm walking down the street with my girlfriend, it's like, also like, they're like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll try to talk to you as well. They're like half flirting, half being like, oh, what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I remember there was one pride. It was like my first pride too. So I was like, I had like that like new energy of like baby's first pride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm on the train and I kissed this girl that I was like, that was my first date was pride. I don't know why we did that, but uh, I, I kissed <laughs> <laughs> and uh and this lady was like oh my god my kids are on the train and I was like well then why did you take your kids on the train through the village during pride that was honestly her bad like even if there was something wrong with what I was doing that would be her bad like what a yeah. like of all of the trains to be on of all the stops like of course around west forth like come on mm-hmm. but, <laughs> that was but I, right but I remember feeling like so much shame and like I just felt like immediately shitty like I'm such an outspoken person but in that moment especially on my first pod I just felt so defeated and I couldn't Mm. like find words or anything and then some random white lady was just like um we're not gonna do that like this is pride ma'am and I remember like we got off the train the next stop because it felt so uncomfortable to be on that in Mm. that environment and she got off too and I remember just being like hey thank you and my like voice cracking a little bit because I couldn't believe Mm. like that I first of all I was I couldn't believe I hadn't said anything because anyone who knows me is like, wow, you didn't, like, I'm surprised to hear that you didn't. And mm. she's like, oh, no problem. Like, it was, it, I don't even think that she saw why it was so important, maybe, to me. She mm-hmm. was just like, okay, ch-, like, I spoke up because I had to. But anyway, bye. And, like, I still remember that. I think I'm going to carry that memory with me for, like, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, Dwayne Brandon, have you experienced any, um, any homophobia or extreme homophobia? Either extreme one. Homophobia, no. Um, or even if it's that, not extreme. In Trinidad, I mean, I, I've grown up pretty sheltered. But when I started to work, um, my first job was the manager at a store. Um, because I was the youngest manager, I used to have senior managers making subtle jokes and saying things under the breath. You know, shit wasn't direct, but it was still present, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they used to give me all the late shifts and they used to treat me differently, of course, because of my age and because of my 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 preference. So mm-hmm. that was the challenges that I had to, to experience at that time of my life. But mm-hmm. over the years, if it's something we did we did mention is that once it is you have a particular status or or, or authority, things change. 
So over the years, as I moved up the ranks, mm-hmm. that's not something that I had to, to deal with. Mm-hmm. But it was mm-hmm. still subtle in the minds of the staff and other managers. It was still present, but it wasn't intense. Yeah. I also yeah. think, I know we're asking about homophobia, but I think like biophobia can be its own like, unique demon. So like True. Uh, a lot of, and especially as a woman, like I'll be like, this happens all the time to the degree that I almost like didn't even mention it because it seems almost insignificant. That's how often mm-hmm. it happens. But if I'm sitting like at a bar or like at dinner with a girl and we're like holding hands, men will sit down with us and join us and be like, mm-hmm. like there's like this perception that what we're doing is for attention. Therefore that we must be inviting any random mm-hmm. guy to <laughs> join us. I just simply by being there. And it has yeah. happened so many times and I'm like, I, I don't even understand the logic behind it. Like to sit down and be like, hey, so what's up? It's like, we're clearly on a date. What yeah. else do we get? And, and the idea that it's consumptive or like there was a, a man who like walked into the bar, sat down and was like, so where are we going? Like as if, mm. as if what? Like we're going to go back to your place and give you a threesome simply because <laughs> I don't. And like over time it becomes... A, like it seems like maybe harmless, but like the message that is conveyed over time is that like us picking up space is an invitation and therefore that PDA is not something that we have access to. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that that is the same for like lesbian women in a lot of ways as well. But um, I definitely think it stems from like biphobia. So that's like another, an additional layer to navigate on top of the homophobia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think your struggle as a female, I think as a part of the LGBTQ community, your struggle is sometimes so different because at the end of the day, you face situations like that. You and another female would sit down. They would not understand. They would think, okay, this is a fun opportunity, obviously, as you said, like a threesome. Or they wouldn't see you. Like, say, for instance, for you, I think for you, as opposed to maybe a gay male, it is sometimes a little bit different because at the end of the day, if I walk on the street um, and I'm just walking there or if I'm walking holding another guy's hand, they would see it so different. I don't think I, a woman would not come up to me and be like, hey, let me try to talk to you or hey, let me try to sleep with you. For you, it's almost like, okay, there is this stronghold that men seem to think they have over certain situations. And mm-hmm. there is this, okay, I'm, I'm a dominant factor or I can change you. I feel, I've honestly never gone through that. I feel like yeah. most, if when you're dealing with people, um, most straight females don't think they can convert a, 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 a gay man but a man I don't know what's going on with us it's almost yeah. like we feel like we're just dominating every side in every factor in every industry it's almost like okay okay that, that, it's almost like it's the perfect opportunity for us or for, for straight men yeah. it's frustrating too because right now we're all wearing masks so you can't even see <laughs> yes yeah so what are you hitting on mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing it's just an image you're yeah. to them you're just a female right yeah. so i have a question for Dwayne. um i know being gay in guyana is illegal um i yeah. think it's the only me still on the law yeah mm. but i had read earlier this year that the first lbgtq friendly church opened up this year mm, uh, interesting yeah so like I don't know how close <laughs> you yeah, are. Listen, if anybody anyone is listening, you should see Gabriel's face. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, what? People in Grenada too, and I don't understand how they're. It's like simultaneously an affirming environment in some ways, but then like it's still on the books illegal. Like, what's mm-hmm. going on here? Let's get on the same page. 
People ask me all the time, they'll be like, what do you think about being LGBTQ and traveling to Grenada? And I'm like, uh, I can't even describe it because I have no idea what's going on. Like, it's illegal. So, but it's also like people still, like there's designers. So like, I don't, you know, like there's celebrities. So how can yeah. I say, it depends on how you look. It depends on like your gender presentation. Mm-hmm. It depends on your privilege. Like if you have money to yes. environments, then of course you're going to be protected in a lot of ways. So it's mm-hmm. like, I even give like an across the board, definition of like what it's like mm-hmm. that's interesting that's the first i'm hearing about that church um i don't think it's something like my family would ever bring up to me because i still what nope in my whatsapp and facebook is a communication i have with my family back home in guyana mm-hmm. um, um so that's how i get my news and stuff from them but i don't think that something is ready for them unless they're trying to bash it um because mm-hmm. my family in guyana in particular I'm not out to it's just um, my more immediate family members mm-hmm. um, my mother my dad my aunt um, and then obviously my friends who I'm fine mm-hmm. with um, but yeah that's the first I've heard of that considering the fact that it is technically on the books that sodomy is like illegal so yeah. it's it's a very weird conundrum to have yeah um, but okay. I do know there are yeah. some quote-unquote like we've said it before the gay celebrities who are there they are on tv shows and stuff like that but they're seen more as props from what mm. i've like gathered from like family or friends speaking about them it's just like as a prop like this is this person as a character kind of thing mm-hmm. like yeah. they're funny to watch they're funny to listen to outside of that it's like they wouldn't really care too much about the individual yeah um so i don't i don't know how well this church will be how will how long it will last yeah. I'll look into this see or learn a little bit more about um but it is it is the first time I'm hearing about it though yeah. mm-hmm. there are those churches I don't mean to go to joy but there are those churches in the U.S. too in the U.S. as well um where it's, it's a gay church and you find I feel like you find a lot of it's a, maybe in the Catholic church a little bit more and then it's not Catholic it's one of the other ones um yeah could be one of those you find them in the U.S. Um, so touching on a point that you mentioned that they only, they're tolerant to the, to the entertainment value, um, yes. of people within the community. I feel like, especially today, cause I feel like a lot of, I feel like a lot of the Caribbean countries are a wee bit more tolerant, but it's mm. kind of like, it's a, they're treating the people within the community as caricatures for That's their true. entertainment only. Um, because I know that within Jamaica, there is a, a celebrity. He's a comedian. Um, he is... Do you want to say his name? Shabada. <laughs> oh, Shabada. I, thought, I thought you were referring to somebody else because I was saying that wasn't confirmed. So don't. Uh-oh. And he hasn't confirmed <laughs> it himself, but... That, but is, that one's... Yeah. yeah. He... You can tell he's gay. Um, and he's kind of like tiptoed on the point. Um, yes. And he's been in ver- uh, a couple of like what we call roots plays. And he plays these these roles where he's like, mm, is he, isn't he? And he's kind of made fun of. So like going, so what I'm trying to go with is like tolerance within the Caribbean now. Mm-hmm. What do you think about it? I know it's like, it's like, mm, you're tolerant now, but like, what do Literally you- Literally never. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I recently, I was in Jamaica last September because I was invited to do a press trip for the resort hedonism. I don't know if you heard of it. Oh yeah. We sure? What? Oh, okay. Just <laughs> so, they actually had the first gay wedding in Jamaica. Oh, I bet. Like 
a, it's very it's a very white resort like walking in and seeing yeah. like so many white people there i was like so it's like this like insulated area within jamaica where like white people almost go to be like oh maybe i would hook up with the with like someone of the opposite i mean someone of the same gender same. Like, you know like let me see it let me dabble in it a little bit and they're like shielded with the wealth and the privilege of it within the mm -hmm. context of a of a country where it's not legal it like blows my mind it's like such it's like a flaunting of privilege and it, that i cannot even i mean I, I enjoyed my time there and there were a lot of very nice aspects of it's a beautiful resort but it's like about how does that sit in the wider context of like the caribbean experience that people from other countries pay to come to, to this place where people are being harmed for being lgbtq mm. and they're like dabbling they're playing in it mm. <laughs> It's all about the money. It's all about the money and the status. At the end mm -hmm. of the day, most Jamaicans would support somebody who's gay who has money. Um, they're not supporting the local person. If you're, they're mm -hmm. not also. They're also not supporting anybody that's not in their family. So it's for most people in the Caribbean, it's okay for Ellen DeGeneres to be gay. Um, they would watch her on TV because she is yeah. funny. But that is not my daughter, or that's not my sister. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what most most that's the conflict for most people it's like it's a it's far removed from me it's far removed from my family um from my specific circle when it comes into my family or it comes into my circle it's a whole different ball game it's a whole different story and i feel like it's also the pressure of the culture itself like growing up for me it's almost like yeah it's okay for other people to do that but is that now nah, you go embarrass our family you're going to embarrass me or you're going to embarrass us. And it's like, okay, we can't afford um, for that to happen. Um, yeah. You're thinking, okay, you're not even worried about you being called names. It's like, okay, it's almost like somebody's going to come and burn the house down because that's just how it's how serious it is for them. It's like, nah, I, I don't really care that you're hurt. Oh, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I don't really care that you're being called names or you're being bullied. But what happened What happened to our name? Like, you know, Miss John next door is going, she's going to start saying something. And then you're going to be like, especially for me, like my grandmother is a, a minister. And it's like, okay, wow, they're going to say that minister so-and-so his grandson or minister so-and-so's daughter is, how can you, like, they're not even thinking about your feelings. And that's yeah. the issue is like when you grew up in the Caribbean, they don't realize that this is your struggle and this is the situation mm -hmm. you're facing. And it's almost like in a selfish way to say, okay, you need to just tone your behavior down or yeah. tone down the way you look or the way you dress. So make me feel comfortable. And like at the end of the day, that's not, that's what? Like, nah, I can't do that. Yeah. No. Oh. The tolerance is definitely more for so the adjacent and not when it comes on your actual doorstep. Yes. So within the Caribbean, I feel like it's the tolerance is only for outsiders kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, mm -hmm. If it's going on in America, yeah, that's fine. That's okay. But if it's like coming closer and closer to home, then it's like, okay, like, what does, what is, what is it looking like? Or we're only going to accept it if it comes in a particular form, entertainment. Other than that, like, we don't want it. Mm. Yeah, very solid. So another question to the group, um, besides Brandon, do any of you have, well, have friends or acquaintances um, back home that are out and living, and still living in the, um, the Caribbean? <laughs> no, you asked me that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wayne? In Jamaica? Nope. <laughs> so, I, a lot of my family, I've, now that I have what? social media and can connect with them, a lot of them are 
queer or you know gay or bi or whatever but they get so far away from their family so whenever my mom gets too much i'm like y'all do you want me to leave because that's what everybody else is doing they're having a great time so like i want uh, in hawaii she's having a great time <laughs> uh, nobody bothers her none of the family's over there mm-hmm. relaxed personally i don't think so i've seen um like some people in groups like maybe and i think more so women it's a little bit more it, yeah. to a degree where it's like so and so might be, but like again, it's it's the the how how they're presenting themselves isn't some way that's threatening to the culture or anything like yes. that. So that's okay. Um, but I have like seen like online groups like there's people who are from Guyana who are like pansexual or bi mm-hmm. or something like that, and it's a little more acceptable. They're still there, but it's mm-hmm. easier to blend in for them. Yeah, there are a lot. There, I mean, there are a lot of. Um, I know a lot that are in Jamaica, but they're not out. Um, and clearly, with Jamaica, with the the level of homophobia in Jamaica, I don't think it's even safe for you to be like out at this point. Um, and, and that is sad. But at the end of the day, most people they're trying to protect themselves. At the end of the day, you want to live and be free and love yourself. But at the end of the day, you also want to just live. And that's it's sad, but um, living is way better than if you put in quotes living your best life like it. Um, and that's definitely a struggle. But we're not, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not going to say that um, it is much better to be obviously gay or bisexual um, or however you identify in the, in, in the U.S. But we're not going to act as if the U.S. is off full and accepting, especially in the Black community, um, because obviously it's a serious issue here as well. I mean, not everybody is like, oh, yeah, let's just love on them. Because you had mm-hmm. that ex- personal experience, Gabrielle, clearly, um, where it's like, okay, you're on the train, and this is West Village. Like, it doesn't even make sense, because I'm like, this is New York, and you would think that a place like New York, you wouldn't have to deal with all of that. But here we are. But do you find it... Um, you brought up the point about you being Gabrielle, or you being female, and how different it is for you being bisexual. Um... Is that for you? What has been your just your personal experience with just dealing with that? Considering that most people, like myself or Dwayne, brought it up, that your struggle seems to be less, and not to say less. And I don't think we said that your struggle seems so different from ours in a sense. Do you think it is different, first of all? Yeah, I think that uh, LGBTQ activism emerged at a very specific point in history, mm-hmm. and like because of it like a lot of the the colloquialisms like um like born this way as like the rallying cry of the community (laughs) i think that it's hard for bi people and pan people to identify with born this way because when you already have attraction to men you think yes oh so i'm regular like a Mm. lot of bi people are like oh my god i didn't even realize until i was like in my 20s (laughs) or like i did i definitely was someone who realized early but like the idea of born this way felt like inappropriate to claim when I didn't come out until my twenties. Um, so, and then like, of course, like there's like the, a hierarchy in, in a sense of the violences that the entire spectrum that of identities experiences. Facts. So people are always like, well, bi people can blend in. Like you're not going to get attacked on the street. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. if I'm with a girl, I can get attacked. On the or like, if I am, just I am a very out bisexual person so the idea that I don't experience violence for being bi is like it's just incorrect because people can Mm. still be violent towards me 
but then on top of that, the idea that like that like we can only measure the extent of the violence based on like street violence rather than Mm -hmm. like what about the the, there's like even higher rates of sexual violence for bi women because of the consumptive nature in which like men interact with us. So the idea that that violence is like not as bad as like the street violence that people experience when they're holding hands with the same sex partner is like, Mm -hmm. first of all, harmful and like very erasive of like my experiences and like, um, I try to talk about it all the time because I think there's a lot, especially on the internet, like people will troll me and like, like 10, I don't, I think at one point I was on a forum, somebody posted Mm -hmm. my Twitter and was like, you know, bi women always want to act like they're the the best advocates for the community, but she probably has a husband at home named Harold. I don't have a husband. Mm. (laughs) So what a weird statement to make. I found it on Reddit and I was like, so when they posted that, it sent like this, like dozens of people to come attack me on the internet and like, for simply for wanting to stand up for my community mm-hmm. and for and for no other reason the idea of like just drawing attention to biphobia as, as it's committed by like within our own community as mm-hmm. well as from outside of the community the idea that like I shouldn't speak up to that because we're still trying to get rid of homophobia right now so maybe after we're done with homophobia then we'll come back In general to mm-hmm. yeah yeah we uh, always grew up with that with those stereotypes so like growing up in Jamaica, clearly, but we've had notions about people that are gay, people that are um, that identify as neither or identify as both. But obviously, we grew up hearing stories of, "Oh, you're just confused," or that more than likely you were just straight. But that um, you, you like a little girl once in a while, because I've, I've heard that they're like, "Okay, mom, never she's straight," but you know what, girl and girl, it ain't nothing wrong with that. But then <laughs> a guy. <laughs> Sorry, this my parents know I'm like talking smack about them because here they go. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Continue. Uh, I have a question for Brandon. Um, mm-hmm. Since you're still you're still in Trinidad, you're still in Trinidad. You live there. You do the retirees yeah. special. Um, six months here <laughs> there. Um, are there gay sex workers in Trinidad? Yes. There are gay sex workers in Trinidad. Um, but I, but what I would say is after 2016, that trade kind of slowed down because it was easier for gay people to start getting jobs. So with that happening, they kind of pulled away from um, being sex workers and got different jobs. And what exactly, I'm sorry, what exactly, for those maybe myself who might not know exactly what had happened in 2016? So in 2016, they, have, they started to... Um, rally for people who were gay. Um, they mm. tried to remove the buggery law because we had a. I mean, homosexuality is, is not gay, is not illegal, but one mm. of the laws that was making it a challenge was the buggery law. So when it is they removed that law, it was a bit easier for people to start um, getting normal jobs because the law was no longer there to um, restrict them from working. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the biggest challenge. Uh, apart from that, they also um, issue a no discrimination law, mm-hmm. which made it again easier for people to work in the general public and work in government office or normal jobs. So that's mm-hmm. where the, the change actually happened. And with that, with that change um, actually happening, Trinidad mm-hmm. the Big was actually able to have their first gay pride in 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that actually on social yeah. media. Mm-hmm. And 
it looked it looked lit. <laughs> it was lit. It was lit. Yeah, because uh, speaking of like uh, pride events, there's also like pride in Jamaica too. It's very um, mm. it's very security heavy, of, of course. Yeah. But I think they had their third invitation pride. only kind of yeah. thing. And I, I was reading something um, about Trinidad. Someone had said that they're probably the most um, tolerant. Uh, tolerant in tolerant country in the Caribbean. I would definitely I think, agree. Jamaica is on the bottom of that list. <laughs> I think one of the reasons, maybe the, the, the things that would have contributed to that is over the years, there were a lot of key people, like a lot of key uh, drag queens who mm. were very public about their, their lives. You know, so they were into entertainment, so the public we were always seeing them on YouTube and Facebook and news. There was always an incident about them. And I mm. think that incidents like that would have definitely made the public a bit more sensitized to the fact that mm. there are homosexuals and there are drag queens living amongst us, you know? Mm-hmm. So by people seeing them more regularly, they started to become more acceptable over the times. So mm-hmm. if it is we saying that that started to happen when in 2008, when I just came out of school, when, mm-hmm. when I had recognized that, okay, there are actually drag queens really rampant out here. Over a 10-year period, people were sensitized. So now people be like, yeah, it's nothing for them. They're, they're numb to the fact that, 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 they, that we exist. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, you know, me, you know, I've said it before that I, inside, I'm a drag queen. So mm-hmm. are there, like, drag events, drag bars? Like, how, mm-hmm. how are drag queens... How are drag queens in, in Trinidad? Because I, this is the first time I'm like hearing of like drag queens actually in Caribbean countries. Yeah, okay. no, I don't know. So for Trinidad, um, I've actually been on a committee for three of the companies back home in Trinidad, um, Queen of Queens, Diva Girl, and um, I can't remember the third one, but they have three companies basically. And so every year, each company will have a pageant show and they will have three crowns to buy for, right? So every year, you'll all have a show to compete in. So mm-hmm. each show might want about like about 13 to 14, 15 girls to compete. And mm-hmm. they would run that event for like about three to four months, an mm-hmm. opening night, an interview night, a final night, just like Miss Universe. And at the last night, you crown the queen, whoever is the queen that wins. You uh-huh. know, so, so it was definitely a lot of... um. A lot mm-hmm. of people who were interested in competing, either for the exposure or for the cash prize, you know. And the first time I actually went to Jamaica is when the franchise, Diva World, was, they had me go to um, Jamaica to sit on the panel of judges for a show in Jamaica. I think that was in 2014. That was the first time I went to Jamaica. So that was the first time I was able to experience or see what, the drag life looks like in Jamaica. So it's actually really prevalent. I think now it's dying down. That's the tea. I think one of the reasons why it's dying down, because I've realized that a lot of people are now migrating and seeking asylum to the UK and Amsterdam and all these other countries. So mm-hmm. now the number of drag queens that we once had, we no longer have them in the Caribbean because everybody is migrating and seeking asylum. So that is definitely changing the the whole world of drugs when it comes to the drugs in the Caribbean. And of course, I mean, they're, they're definitely trying to seek safety or go somewhere where they feel safer, you know? Where they can live their life the way they, they feel comfortable to live their life. And if they can't do it in our home country, then they migrate. 
Wow. Like, okay, so one question. This is personally for me. When are these drag events? <laughs> so you pull it up, Jordan? I really love <laughs> So most times it ends in November. Okay. Right? And it would start in like September. So it will okay. start in September and it will run from September straight to November. You have Outrageous in Black, where it is the person with the best costume win. Mm-hmm. And sometimes Outrageous in Black is a, is a, is a competition where it is they might give you plastic bags and tell you to make a dress out of it. Mm. So it's very creative, you know. Yeah. Interview night, it helps us to see how much etiquette a particular queen has. You have opening night <laughs> where we get to see your charisma, your 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 feminine flair, you know. So it's, mm. it's very interesting to see people get into to these characters mm-hmm. and really not only perform but express themselves the way that they feel comfortable. Mm. Okay, so I'm planning to go to Trinidad. Is it is it usually end of November? Is it like Thanksgiving time? Because I I can yeah, make that... I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's normally to the end of November. Okay, yeah, that's Thanksgiving. So you can definitely you can definitely catch the final night at the end of November. Okay, so I will be there. I I, I will expect you to be my uh, my host in Trinidad. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um. So it's it's Pride Weekend. In New York, um, it's about to. It's the Pride events in the Caribbean are about to kick off soon. So my question to everyone, and then like we are in a pandemic. Listen, um, um, people that look like us are being murdered in the United We're States. We're in a revolution. There is um, people are people are finally talking about police brutality in mm-hmm. all across the Caribbean now, um, and then there is. Yeah, there's everything that's going on. And, and fireworks. Fi- the fireworks <laughs> in New York has got to stop. So Listen. my question to everyone, like, how do you find your joy in all of this? Like, dealing with, mm. dealing with like, parents, dealing with, like, um, other people um, and their stigmas, homophobia, the church. Because, mm. like, I-, I know all that is still happening. So it's kind of like a blender well, a melting pot of everything, and I feel like it's mm-hmm. gonna explode. But there's always ways to like find your joy, find your sanity. How yeah. do you guys do it? Uh, I try to look at like I guess I just try to dig for the positive. I mm-hmm. spend a lot of time at Club Quarantine. It's a virtual Zoom club for queer people, so it's an mm-hmm. online space. And because we've had to construct this online space because of COVID, there are a lot of international people who attend who would not be able to celebrate Pride at all where they're located or wouldn't feel comfortable attending Pride where they're located um, Mm -hmm. because it would be a safety violation, but who can finally find like a queer community and queer space on the internet in like, like we just weren't doing virtual events to this degree before COVID, you know? So it's entirely different to be at a club where there's like drag performances and everyone's dancing and like highlighted and to feel like celebrated and, and be like, like, wow, this is, I finally get to have a pride experience. That has been really cool to see and to talk to. A lot of people will like come out for the first time in the club quarantine chat Mm. or like, you know, be like, you know, I've never even said the word I'm gay out loud, but I'm going to type it here. And so that honestly, it gives me a lot of joy to see, to know that like, even when all of the odds are against us, that we will find queer space and take queer space. Mm Also, now I spend a lot of time in nature, so that there's that. <laughs> that helps. Dwayne? Uh, me, since I'm much more of an introvert, it wasn't so much of a 
I guess, hard segue for me. Um, moving out to D.C., I am a little bit away from my family, so I can't visit as much as I used to. Um, but that just means I just video chat with them and chat with them more online. Um, so I've just, I guess, dived a little deeper. Um, I read a lot more than I was able to before. Um, I've gotten a lot more books from a lot of like black authors and stuff like that. So it's just diving a little bit more into things that I wanted to do that I didn't have so much time to do before. Um, so definitely reading, um, writing, um, catching up on shows, stuff like that. Those are things that, um, you know, alleviate some of the outside pressures, the things that are going on, especially living in DC, which is, you know, the hotbed of a lot of the issues um, yeah. that are happening. Um, so it's just diving more into those things. Makes sense. Brandon? Um, but it was cold. It was very depressing for me because mm. I'm being from the Caribbean, coming from Trinidad to, to Maryland, it's kind of hard to be able to do things, especially if it's cold outside. But mm-hmm. when it was cold, I was basically just doing some reading. But now that it's hot, I'm outside every day. <laughs> With your mask on, of course. With my mask on. I've, I've, I've gained probably like about 15 pounds during quarantine. Mm-hmm. So now my goal is to be active every day. All right. So I've started back to CC um, clients from a social distance. I try to run every day. I try to exercise. So once I'm outside and doing something, mm-hmm. I find my joy in that space. So now that I have, I have all the skipping ropes and all kind of different things to keep mm-hmm. myself active you know so that's definitely what i'll do to, to find my joy yeah. because that that quarantine period i, I don't know it was it was hard it, it, it was to it be was. away from people physically was a challenge for me yeah yeah i agree with gabriel when, when it comes down to finding joy in nature like i'm that type of person i love the park i just love to just go outside especially living in brooklyn living in new york where I feel like you're living in this concrete jungle, literally. And it's just like, you don't have that open space. Like, I'm from Jamaica, where it's like, we got the beach, you got the trees, you have the mango tree in the backyard. And for me, that's just where I find solace and peace and joy, just in simple things like nature. And means also being surrounded by people like Jody or my other friends, where it's like, you get to just have fun. Like, I don't want to constantly have to think about um, the issues that we face every day at the end of the day um yeah you're gay yes you identify with the community and yeah there are so many things that we struggle with and we deal with but nobody wants to think about our struggle every day so i feel like i love the idea that i can be around people that just always uplift you and not even just uplift you with stories like um with regard to issues like this but just talk to you about regular shit it's like i just want to just have fun and sometimes i don't always just want to talk about the struggles we face um being gay like sometimes i just want to have some good old fun we just go we're just gonna talk um mm-hmm. so that's where i find my joy it's like just finding those small things that just um put you in a different world a different space where you can just be content and not just having always just to think about um okay mm-hmm. do i have to worry about how i said this or do i have to worry about how i'm looking like finding that space and i feel like for most people in the caribbean it's sad, but I feel like it's so important that if they can have five, find people um, that are like them, who they can look up to and they could be like, you know what? He's happy. He's content. And he's also gay. Or she's content. She's bisexual. And I feel like that is so important for you to also see people um, who are like you that would just make you happy. Like, 
this is why having people even on certain platforms um, that voice their opinion that sound like you is important um, so that you can be like, okay, I, he is happy. Um, he's good. I'm happy. Like I can be who I am and still just be happy. So and that's yeah. the drop off. I will say that because like a lot of the language right now is around racism and yeah. we're treating right racism as like a colonial import. It's hard mm. to then, it's, it becomes easy to make a case for the fact that like homophobia, biphobia, and transphobia are also colonial imports. So I think that my parents also like by proxy gotten a huge education on the LGBTQ community. And then like mm. last night I even watched Disclosure, the new Netflix documentary on trans media representation. I watched that with mm. my father. My, like that, I just never would have anticipated that growing up that I would be sitting down to learn about how trans people are represented with my father. And now he has like a lot greater of an understanding of like what bigotry looks like. And like, he's still mm. like, he, he's just, I, I'm impressed with the amount that he has been radicalized thanks to this issue. And like now how that's trickled into many other issues. Mm-hmm. You know, I think like everyone's eyes have become opened. Like mm-hmm. that's, I feel like that's what one positive besides saving money. Um, <laughs> that too. <laughs> opening up, I think it's opening up people's eyes and saying like, there is vast inequality in, um, in America. Um, and then I think all over the world, they're realizing that black LBGTQ people are treated terribly. They're being murdered. Yes. They're being hunted. And a lot of the movements that have started, um, started when them. you go to, um, um, to, to, to pride in the United States, pride in the Caribbean, um, even some um, policy changes, it all started, most of them started with Black people, Black mm-hmm. people of the, the community. And yes. the fact that they're not, the fact that I would say we, because I'm an ally, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I was, I feel like I was a gay man in a past life, but I feel like <laughs> um, we're, at, I feel like we're finally at the forefront now. Brandon, were you saying something? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so wh- how do we change the, or how do we shift the current minds or past mindset or, and, and the current mindset too for change uh, for uh, people within the community in relation to like everyone within the diaspora? So for people back home, for people here, for people in Germany, all over, how do we shift that mindset about um, the LBGTQ individuals within our culture? There's not like a one size fit all answer. Like I know for, there are two things that I think work really well for my family, which is like, because they're so religious, I, I, I've learned a lot about biblical scholarship. So like mm-hmm. kind of dissecting the Bible and learning what, like what elements of bias were embedded within it and like how we're mm-hmm. translating it to use as a weapon against marginalized groups rather than like what parts are actually components of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, a lot of the ways that the Bible has been translated to demonize LGBTQ people is like specifically like people placing that within the context mm-hmm. of the Bible. So having those conversations with my dad and my mom and like sitting them down and like educating on them, that has really helped. And then also like educating them just on history and colonialism has really helped because there's this idea that like LGBTQ people are like a white people thing as if like our proximity mm-hmm. to whiteness mm-hmm. informs why we're queer and 
for them to see examples of queer people from before colonialism. Um, like I bring up like a lot of like trans identities and queer identities in Africa because then they're then they don't have a leg to stand on when they're talking about mm. it as a white colonial construct. So the realization that hate is more so the white colonial construct has been really like transform transformative for them. But mm. I know for some people that learning in that way just feels like being talked down to. It feels condescending. So it doesn't work with everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely piggybacking off of what Gabrielle was saying. It should be on a more micro level. Um, so starting from your own circle would probably be the best. But in the Caribbean culture, you'll definitely have to be careful of stepping on some toes. Mm-hmm. Um, you might just have to. Like, I know just having conversations with my mother on just, like, traditional things of or sayings that she used to say that she just grew up hearing, like, things about colorism um, that's so mm-hmm. definitely embedded um, mm-hmm. calling them out on it is always seen as disrespectful um, but at this point it's just like listen I'm going to have to step on your toes because it's just not right um, I don't care if it's just yeah that's what granny used to say and whatnot. Uh-huh. granny was wrong <laughs> <I'm sorry>. uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> granny was wrong for saying that and now you're continuing it um, so definitely just getting them exposed even just a little bit having small conversations and just easing them into it um, is with I think is like our only approach right now because they would never take a full face kind of like um, this is it you have to accept it kind of thing it would not work out well at all nope. um, so definitely in your own like own circles would be the best way to just start talking because then, then it's easier to spread that way because that's how all our news and rumors get spread anyway it's from who who said something to somebody and this yeah. that and the third and it's just like wait how did you hear about this yeah <laughs> You know, like, it's it's so funny that crime is so high in the Caribbean and there's a lot of cold cases because, like, mm-hmm. the grandmas, the aunties, the moms, that that network of gossiping, I feel like mm-hmm. murder should be solved in, like, five minutes. I know, right? Because <laughs> they know everything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everybody's like, business. On what was doing said, um, if there's one thing I want to bring up is that parents mm-hmm. would beat their kids, you know? I remember mm. asking a parent, you know, why do you beat your kid? And her response was, well, my mother used to beat me. And I was like, mm. why That's not a reason. used to beat you? And she was like, because she mother used to beat her. And then in my mm. mind, I was like, you beat your kids because your mother used to beat you. Mm. And your mother, your grandmother used to beat your mother because your grandmother, parent, your grandmother came from a, a lineage of slaves. So that's all they knew. Mm licks to control slaves to do what mm-hmm. it needs to be done you know so people definitely take in what it is they, are, they have learned from slavery and bring it down the lines as a form as, of, of this disciplinary action and i think that now as a generation if this we can do the same thing and push what we know downward in the next 10 15 years everybody will have this information to understand that yeah is not about what it is we happen to our sleeve, but it's about the correct conscious information that help us move forward in a more progressive mindset. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, I, I agree with you guys all when it comes down, when it comes down to informing um, people about the wrongs and even important in trying to basically change people's mindsets. Because at the end of the day, if some people are honestly unaware 
of especially things when it comes down to certain transphobic statements or biphobic statements. Some people are just honestly, they're ignorant situations. So I feel like going forward is just starting that conversation, starting a conversation. Um, it might be hard, but starting a conversation with your parents or your grandparents and trying to um, help them to understand feelings. And that is kind of weird because I feel like with growing up in the Caribbean, parents don't want to hear about your feelings. They don't want to hear about, okay, wh- okay, why are you behaving this way? Or how is it that you feel? And I feel like growing up in Jamaica, that's the issue with what I've faced. It's like nobody wanted to know. They, they, they see something and it's not like, okay, let's talk. Let's know how you're feeling or you're reacting a certain way or you behave in a certain way. I see certain cues. I, I'm automatically going to assume that you are, but then you're like, okay, wait. Instead of having a conversation, it's almost like, nah, let's get the belt. Or cursing you out or be like no this happened in my house or something like that so i feel like it is important for us to start having conversations um with our family members as strange as it see but i had a question for you guys uh we talked about a lot of the negative but does anybody have a positive story um about their experience in the caribbean or amongst caribbean beyond your friends um that you'd want to share so because i'm sure at the end of the day there are allies like jody um, there are other people who are just there for you and are supporting you um, in this just, I guess, a live journey. Does anybody have a positive story with regarding to just the Caribbean and being a gay or bisexual or however you identify? One of my positives is I feel as a grown up in, in, in Trinidad, I haven't experienced what I experienced. One mm. of the things that I had to do as a coping mechanism was overcompensate. And mm. I find that in overcompensating, trying to stand out, trying to be the first to, to win or trying to, to be a leader, mm-hmm. I find that those habits have definitely made me into the strong place that I am today. Mm-hmm. I felt as though if it is those situations weren't present and I didn't have to overcompensate, that I would not have been the person that I am today. Nice. Yeah. I think the most positive experience for me is that because I live so out loud with my sexuality, like I, Uh sometimes it feels like I'm creating content just within myself and like with my editor. And then when it's, when people reach out to say, Hey, I read your work and like, it really spoke to me. Like it really impacted me, especially when I wrote about uh, coming out to my mom as a, Uh a Caribbean American woman, like a lot of people from the Caribbean reached out to say like, wow like I identify with so much and obviously like this experience is going to be different because you live in America and I live in the Caribbean but like I felt so I connected with so many aspects of it and it really made me feel like there's hope and it really made me feel compelled to like push more with my family and like it just seeing you live so proudly and like loudly has made me feel proud like that is like a consistent theme in my life now that I feel gives me a lot of joy that's like my most positive awesome I love that Dwayne, do you have? Um, I guess for me, it was just knowing, uh, just a reminder of like the family members that do know that it was me more that they, I guess, cared about than more so of like what I am kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So for the ones that did stick around or still communicate, it was just a good reminder um, that um, that it was me the not mm-hmm. the the whole me that they really cared about not just like yeah, part or section of me so yeah. it was just a good reminder to have that yeah uh and I, I feel like most of the stories coming out now um 
it's like because uh, I, I know of someone he is Haitian and he mm-hmm. he was straight and narrow he went to church all the time um, all this stuff then he came out to his parents um, they kicked him out of the house and gave him his passport and said yes um, he was struggling for, for a very long time and then they realized that this is our son mm-hmm. and we love him and we need we have to love him regardless Mm-hmm. We have to we have to be with him. He has to be in our life regardless. Whether he's this or he's that, he's still your son. So I feel like mm-hmm. um a lot of a lot of your stories are like that. And I am yeah. I am proud to I'm happy that's happening. Um mm-hmm. because before that um the stigma, the the um the abuse and like making it on your own, being thrown out and like having to figure things out on your own, especially mm-hmm. as like a, young, a, a teenager or like a, an adult, it's, it's, it's really, it's really, really hard. And then you get into some sticky situations, but I think mm-hmm. that's why um, people of the community are so resilient. I mean, in yeah. addition to being black and proud or Indo mm-hmm. um, Indo-Caribbean and proud or um, everything else within the community, I, I feel like there's a strong resiliency um, Cause you, cause I feel like the community, like you have to find your own joy. You have to make the pot out of um, sour mangoes and, <laughs> uh, and, and live a, live a, live a life that you love and be free. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that is the last of my questions. And I know we've, we're supposed to be like an, hour 15 and we are way over that um <laughs> so i just want to say thank you all so you. so so much for being a part of our first lbgtq roundtable we are definitely planning to do this every single year as long yes. as we have this platform because we won't be allowed yeah we we believe this is an important issue um not issue but i feel like it's important to talk about um Mm-hmm. And to get people's different people's perspectives because mm-hmm. your experiences um, may be different from from Joe or from Suzanne or from Electra. Um, <laughs> but before we end, um, mm. there's a couple of things that I want from everyone. One in particular: what is your favorite mango? <laughs> a very important question. Yeah. My favorite um, mango is- Cutlass mango. Wait, wait, wait. What is that? Please, please describe. I've been a lover of mango all these years, and I've never heard of that one. So if you know a cutlass, then cutlass have a nice little curve at the end. Uh-huh. Is that like a Julie right. mango? It's like a Julie mango, but just have just just have a curve at the end. Okay, can you send and me and Jody a box? <laughs> can you send me and Jody a box? What's the Just one, just one box. It's very, it's very, very sweet and it's very, very firm. It's one of those mangoes that don't stick in your teeth. I can't eat oh, wow. mango if it's sticking mm. in my teeth. So Cutlass Mango is my favorite mango. Okay. You have some yeah. research to do? Yeah, no, we're, we're serious. Send us <laughs> I'm serious. Yes, I'm serious. <laughs> we, we've, we've had mangoes shipped to us in the US. Yes. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, for me, it would be green mango. Um, I don't really like ripe mango that much because... I don't know the the crunch. I like the crunch. If a mango mm. has a crunch, I'm there. oh, you said a green mango. So yeah, any type of mango, mango, as long as it's green. You have, do you yeah. have it with salt and black pepper? Oh, salt 
and pepper, not black pepper, but pepper oh, sauce. Yeah. Like, so, like Trini pepper sauce? <laughs> <laughs> I need pepper sauce, Trini pepper sauce. Pepper sauce you have. Mix it with some salt or throw it on mm. it and, you know, have it in that bag and just Do you throw, do you sprinkle some rum on there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything goes well with rum for joy. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be opposed to trying that, actually. Um, and also, like, pickled mangoes would be, like, a close second, too. Mm, yes, yeah, yeah. Gabrielle? Uh, I really like Haitian mangoes, but recently I got put on to Alfonso mangoes. It's, what, it's like, my a lot of my Indian friends' favorite type of mango. And I was like, I didn't know India had popping mangoes. Like, I need to go find out. I didn't know that existed. Mm-hmm. Jody, we are learning a lot today. We, we are. I'm writing this down. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> Ari <laughs> Kanabolu um, even did a whole like comedy special on how in, how different Indian mangoes are, and I uh-huh. hadn't even considered that there was like mango outside of the Caribbean. So that was my bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Nice, I nice. wait, Brandon. Can you like send us a video <laughs> of the cutlass? The mangoes. We'll, yes. we'll a put picture, it in our stories on Instagram and put it as a highlight. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Um, has anyone here been to Cuba yet? Not yet. Okay, so, all right, here's some mango, some tea. So, in within Cuba, there's a place called, there's a town called Trinidad, Cuba. And mm. I went there once years ago and literally fields upon fields upon fields of mango. Mm. Like, everywhere. Like, it was sounds, just... Like, sounds like heaven. It, it was. Sounds I almost like got... I think I almost got like arrested because I, I went on someone's property to go get some <laughs> tea, <laughs> which is very on brand um, for me. Uh, but yeah, if, much. if you love mangoes, I would encourage you to go there. Um, okay. And then um, also, controvert a little bit of controversy. Um, <laughs> so Jamaican mangoes were shipped to New York, and mm. I'm going to talk about this all the time. Oh wait, inbox. Mm. Yeah, they were selling boxes mm. of mango for fifty-eight dollars, fifty-eight U.S. dollars, and that it did not have fifty-eight mangoes in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it was like a dozen. Yeah, it was twelve mangoes. Twelve mangoes, twelve, twelve, fifty-eight. Mm-hmm. Like four and change for a mango. <laughs> here, right? so my math is correct. Wow. Obviously, yeah. you need to be louder about this. We need to let the world know that this mm-hmm. is not okay. Yeah. <laughs> Mango justice. Mango justice. Mango justice. Yeah. Okay. Um, so thank you guys again. Um, you let us know if you want to. Your social media, um, your social media handle and how the people can reach out to you. Um, or you can, uh, you, and then for us too, like, we can say, hey, our friend, our friends are doing great things. Follow them. Mm-hmm. So what's I your social media? Have, <laughs> I have no crazy plugs or anything like that. Um, but I did recently, I bought a camera and I've been taking pictures. So um, it is, what is it? It is shoot underscore yes underscore shot. Um, and I can send it to you in the comments. Um, but, shoot your shots. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, yeah, that's mine. So my Instagram handle is Mr. Underscore Awesome Underscore Life. Easy mm. to find, Mr. Awesome Life. So, yeah, you can just find me at that. 
Um, mine is Gab Alexa, G-A-B-A-L-E-X-A on pretty much every social media platform. Um, like I said, I just got a book deal. So coming February, yeah, I'm writing about, uh, the internet and our relationship to it. So Mm. I'm hoping to cover a lot, like, you know, I'm hoping to make it kind of light and fun, but also still talk about like police surveillance using the internet and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. And I just graduated. So I'm hoping to use, I, uh, I'm a software developer, so I'm hoping to use software to code solutions and bridge cultural gaps. Love it, love it. And congratulations again. Yeah. Congrats. Send us send us copies of the book. <laughs> we'll get copies. <laughs> when you have your book signing, let us know. We let will, us know. So we we'll buy our copy there. and have you sign it. Right. It was, in my contract, they said they're going to give you 10 books for free. And I was like, my family is way bigger We're than that. Ten. <laughs> like that. 10 is like just my mom's side, uh, like my mom's immediate family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> all right well everyone thank you so so thank much um, for listening thanks for having me oh thank oh thanks for having me thanks for coming thanks for joining <laughs> <laughs> um so for our listeners um remember to follow all of our guests um we'll have we'll promo them this week and drop their social media handles and then we and then of course Listen to the episode, share it with your family and friends, download, listen to it while you're drinking your tea in the morning, before you start work, drink, um, listen to it while you're, um, you're trying to find sanity during quarantine. <laughs> um, yeah. So thank you for listening to episode 23, our first and round. Pride. And happy pride. Yeah. Oh, and happy Caribbean American Heritage Month. Oh, yeah, we forgot. We had so much stuff going on. Yeah, June is a lot. (laughs) But we made it through and are going in July. Yes. (laughs) All right. Thank you, everyone, and enjoy your week.